I am a habitual dreamer, not a wishful pie in the sky kind of dreamer, but rather a part of the natural sleep cycle dreamer, as are all of you. Scientists tell us that dreaming is an integral part of healthy sleep and essential to memory and the processing of emotions. If you're like me, you remember some, but not nearly all of your dreams. I tend to remember those dreams that are interrupted by the alarm or by the phone or by our dog jumping up on the bed. The downside is that I seldom get to the end of my dream story. The upside is the opportunity to share the dream with my wife. My dreams are often quirky, not always rational or adhering to the laws of physics. Judy and I usually get a couple of good laughs when I share my dream stories. I love the stories that develop in my dreams and I love to share them, but I have no idea what the time setting will be. I have no idea what the place setting will be. I have no idea what characters will show up in my dream. And I have no idea what the plot line will be. I have no way of controlling any of that. What happens, happens. However, the UCCI story that will be told in 2050 will not just be a recounting of a series of random haphazard events. Stretching all the way back to the founding of UUCCI in the 1960s, members and friends of the congregation had goals and hopes for the future. They knew how they wanted the plot to develop and steps were always taken with that in mind. The UUCCI story is ongoing. At mid-century in 2050, it may be reduced to paper, but the story is being written right now by all of us. Just as in a good novel, there will be some plot twists that we cannot foresee. The past year has been evidence of that. However, if we know where we want to be in 2050, then unlike in my dream stories, we need to realize that we have the power to get us there. Come, let us worship together as we continue to write the UUCCI story. And so I was looking for my wonder box again and I felt like, how could I possibly, oh, oh, I found my wonder pit. Oh, it makes some noise. So we'll see how well that goes. So I found this this morning and I said, you know what? I wonder what's inside. So let's go out with a bang with this wonder pig. Oh no, there's nothing inside. So we're gonna close it. Good job. And so this pig reminded me of a piggy bank. I'll just turn this off real quick. A piggy bank that I had growing up. How many of you had a piggy bank growing up? Actually shaped like a pig or maybe a, a different shaped animal or maybe it was just a, 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 a jar that you put some loose change in your pocket in. 
Well, I think I had a various amount of them, but one of the things that was true for me is I was not that good at saving. It would burn a hole right in my pocket as soon as that, as soon as that quarter hit it. And, you know, I used to think, well, it's something that helps me to live right now and helps me to make a, make a find joy or, a, you know, a piece of candy or a Pokemon card or something that brings me joy. And it was only until uh, my adult life, and particularly these last few years, being a father, that I realized the importance, the, the, the essential importance of saving, savings. And, and so I, I was looking at this pig and I said, you know, I wonder what the pig thinks of being stuffed with all these <laughs> coins, <laughs> because in some ways, uh, the pig is just holding on to them because at some point it, they will be, uh, the pig will be emptied in order to fulfill something. And so I was thinking a lot about this class that I'm teaching later today on our endowment and how challenging an endowment is to develop and grow, but in some ways, how much of a central image an endowment can be in the spiritual life of an individual, of the spiritual journey of a congregation. Because in many ways, there is ministry we are doing right now, right here in 2021, and that we have been doing throughout this pandemic and in, the, and in each year of our budget, that that investment is so great. I mean, it's like you can experience it right then and there, and it makes it hard sometimes to consider that, a, that putting money into the future is sort of a, uh, a wise decision. And yet I've come to realize that when we put money aside, then we are ready when the time opens for us to make a decision about our future that we have prepared for it. So as we write the story of UUCCI, in 2021, and as we think about the stories we will tell that will be told about us in 2050, I expect that some of those stories will de be dependent on the resources that we have as a congregation to make our visions and our dreams come true. So it will benefit us as a congregation that we give to our future generations of leaders and staff and ministers, a certain amount of freedom to dream big so that when they have an opportunity, when we have an opportunity, we are able to tap into that well in order to make those dreams, those visions come true. It might feel sometimes childlike to hold up a pig might not feel that spiritual or that ethical of a, of a idea. But I believe if we want to think about 2050, whether it be for our children or grandchildren or for this congregation, it's important that we think about what putting money into a fund that is not touched can lead to regarding our future. The future is not yet determined. We each have an opportunity to do our part. And I believe that together 
based on our generosity today for the ministry we're doing today and for tomorrow, the ministry that will be done in our name, that future, that ministry can be truly bright and meaningful. May it be so. And amen. Can you hear them? Can you hear the whispers of the ancestors? We remember their stories are in these walls, in our bones, in the air that we breathe. Their stories are in the touch of a calloused hand, in the melody of songs that we hum while washing dishes, in remembered faces. We hear the whispers of the ancestors, how their stories touch our lives and call us into becoming. This is what 100 years looks like. A rounded, wrinkled back, sparkling wet and soapy above the shower bench. And my hand, having gently formed in your 70th year and emerged with lifelines bent toward blessing, scrubbing circles across your soft skin. I dragged the cloth beneath your arms, silently blessing each bend and crease of breast and belly, whose curves were determined in the womb of my great-great-grandmother. When you are dry and warm, 100 mantras of gratitude sweep over my heart that I am the one standing in the frosted light, rubbing wisps of fragrant talcum into each sweet fold. Tomorrow I return to Boston and you'll keep on in your chair and by the picture window looking down at Seattle. You are too old to tell your stories now and have all but ceased speaking and your thank you honeys like gems at a silent retreat. But the stories have become me, the lifelines that led to my lifelines and your name was mine long before I was dreamed and was born. For now, there's no reason to talk. I adorn you with perfume and color, powder, lipstick, rouge. We get out the pearls, looking down at your toenails with a fresh coat of glittery red. You erupt in laughter. Well, you have to take it off. All day I kiss you, as often as I can, without making you su suspicious that I'm saying goodbye, knowing that when you're gone, I will rise a generation. And as stories are lifelines, I too shall pass them on. As I prepared for this sermon this week, I couldn't help but reflect on my relationship with my grandfather. Thinking about his long life and the legacy he has left behind. I think about the stories his family and friends will share in just a couple weeks when I lead his memorial service in Milwaukee and what stories I would want to tell of our lives together. 
telling stories from the past, the stories of memory that exists somewhere between truth and truth as it is remembered. These stories give grounding to us. They shape our identity and they give direction for not just an individual, but for a family and a wider community as well. It matters that we tell our stories, that we remember and share them with each other, but it also matters that we take the time to consider how we will carry them forward through life. How will our stories shape us? How will they animate our lives henceforth? And how will they, how will they be the seeds for the new stories that people will recall of us a generation or two into the future. I hope that the stories my, family's, my family shares as we celebrate the life of grandpa can guide us into a new chapter together as a family. And I hope that in the years to come, we can look back and feel gratitude for the opening that was created out of his loss. I hope and wish the same to be true for us at UUCCI. I think of the stories this past year has offered us, the stories of pain and struggle, the stories of strength and overcoming obstacles together. I think about the stories our families have created, stories that have shaped a generation of students a defining moment, like 9-11 was for me, or another major event might have been for you. And I wonder, truly, how these stories will define our ministry in the years to come. How will we grow and change in this year to come? How will we be tested and challenged? And challenged? How will we Stay true to our values, our mission, and our ends as a congregation. I think like most things in life, we find our direction by remembering our stories. But another source of strength is available to us. We must consider the type of story we want future generations to remember us by, whether that be our family members, our friends, or fellow congregants here at UUCCI. What story do we want to write today so that in 10, 20, 30 years from now, whether we are around to hear them or not, those stories can guide the next generations as our ancestors have guided ours. So this Sunday, as we near the end of our program year together, a year that has been nothing like what we could have imagined just two years ago. I want to reflect, and by that I mean reflect forward on the stories I hope those who call UUCCI their home will tell in the year 2050. I wonder what stories will shape the lives of the leaders of UUCCI in the middle of the century. It's really not that far away. We recall stories from 30 years ago and the impact some of those decisions made on who we are today 
as a congregation. So lest we take for granted our power and place in our history, we are called to carry on that tradition, this tradition of liberal religion now and into the future. Here are a few stories that I hope we share when, when, our, when those who come after us look back at the early 20s. First, I hope they tell the story of our compassion. The, this past year has been nothing short of a year of compassion. In our ministry to and with one another, we have embodied the essence of this spiritual practice, this ethical ideal and this human necessity. Compassion is a term that's thrown around a lot today, but at its root, I believe it is something we have come to embody even more in the past year. Interestingly, our understandings of compassion may be influenced by both Western and Eastern traditions. In the West, namely in Christianity, a religion some of you may have been raised in or at least familiar with, the notion of compassion is re really preceded by another term. Anyone can guess it? Passion. Passion is often a term brought up when referring to the suffering of Jesus. Now, this is not a sermon about Jesus, nor one on the glorification of violence as a means for attaining capital L, love. But suffering in its most basic sense is at the heart of what being and ever becoming a people of compassion is, in my mind. Suffering, struggle, pain, loss, grief, death, disappointment, and the unknown have been hallmarks of this past year. And as a community, we have not just experienced some of these things in isolation, we have chosen to move through our suffering together in community. We have shaped UUCCI evermore into a space where we can bring these vulnerabilities and know that we will be met with compassion. I do not agree with the definition that compassion is about taking pity on others. I rather appreciate the etymological root of the word, which offers the notion meaning of compassion, meaning to suffer with, to suffer with, one another, to cultivate empathy with another rather than sympathy for another is a crucial distinction. And by our willingness to cultivate compassion and offer compassion to one another in this past year, I believe we will be writing a new story of this difficult time in the history of our congregation and world, a story that affirms that we are a people of compassion. Second, I hope they tell the story of our vision. A congregation just over a half century in age is both younger than some other communities in Columbus area, 
and yet more aware of its history and uncertain future. As a congregation that can recall its founding, we have a tender connection that communities of 100 or more years can have. We were there, or we knew people who were there when this whole dream became a reality. And by that gift of knowing and remembering, we are able to both remember and envision in the course of one inhale and one exhale, to breathe in the stories, the memories of our ancestors, some of whom are right here among us, and to breathe out the longings of our children, the longings of the next generation, the longings of a world that is moving through suffering toward a life of compassion and wholeness. That is the gift we are gifted, that we are offered this invitation we are offered right here in this moment. Breathe in those stories, memories, and gratitude of what has come before. And breathe out the longings that we may help address in the months and years to come. As a people of vision, we are tasked with the challenge of looking not only forward to the next 30 years, but backwards as well to our rich and resilient past. Visionary communities are not ones that just look at the horizon, that just look at the sun rising, but with wisdom and gratitude, look back to the darkened starlit sky to remember and hear the voices that have guided us through the night. And so as we look forward, we listen for the stories that urge us on, the stories that offer a wind at our back to be bold and courageous in our living in whatever comes our way. And in so doing, we will take care and comfort for one another as we collectively envision and make real the longings of our hearts. In this sense, the stories of our compassion and our vision may be interwoven. For to be a community of vision with no sense of compassion would leave our future hollow and callous. Likewise, to be a community of compassion with no sense of vision would leave our future paralyzed and static. Let me say that again. To be a community of vision with no sense of compassion would leave our future hollow and callous. Likewise, to be a community of compassion with no sense of vision would leave our future paralyzed and static. Instead, our work is to be a people of action, a people of movement. One of my favorite spiritual leaders is Thich Nhat Hanh. He summed it up nicely when he wrote that compassion is a verb. We have heard that love is a verb, that, and that might feel more palatable. But for compassion to be a verb, that sets us on a course of active ministry at the intersection of the pastoral 
and the prophetic, the intersection of the tender heart and the longing soul. Truly, it is at the intersection of the long journey and the ultimate destination. Since I arrived here as your minister, again and again, we have talked about the difference we want to make in the world and for whom. This appreciation for change is an affirmation that through our actions, through our living, we can and do make a difference in the world. And because of this, our actions, our resources, how we use our time on this journey together matters so much. Over the past four years, we have gotten more clear about what is essential, about what is vital to us as a congregation. Over the past four years, we have been doing this work. And because of this, we have continued to better align our resources and actions towards these priorities. When UUCCI members reflect in 2050 on the stories that shaped our first half century of the new millennium, I hope they speak to our compassion, our vision, and our action. It is from these tender stories, stories that are just now getting pen to paper and will over the years to come, that I am driven and inspired in our shared ministry. These stories, these stories open my mind and heart and move, animate my hands to the work before us. There's so much work to be done. And I'm so thankful that we will write these stories together. I wanna return briefly to the tenderness of age, the pastoral essence of our ministry together. If you would try and think about what a century looks like for a congregation, it, is, it can be really hard to imagine, especially when you are smack dab in the middle of that century. And because of that, sometimes we take for granted the natural unfolding of life, of life together here as a congregation. My hope, my hope is that as a congregation, we come out of this pandemic, and as we do so, we are ever more intentional about our ministry and our community. Perhaps thinking of our congregation in a more personal way will help us rather than organizational. Thinking about my grandpa and his nearly 100 years of life helps me be more in tune with the compassion, the vision, and the action I seek to embody in life with my family and in life itself. With family, friends, and in this community, tending to the life and health of one another is a sacred act that takes intention and patience. May we remember our ancestors and hold gently 
to their stories, their gifts. And may we lean into the years to come with solemn gratitude for the storytelling and the story writing that is now ours to do. May it be so. And amen.